Be seated. Amen. So we're in the second week of a series we just started called Following Christ Changes Everything, and we've been talking about Jesus' habits. And uh, I shared last week, I did a, an extensive kind of research project through the gospel to identify habits, identified 35. We're boiling them down. We're not going to hit quite all 35, but we're going to go week to week and kind of examine the habit and see how we can have that habit come alive in our own lives. The scripture we read out of Acts 11, 19 to 26, ended at the very end by saying it was in Antioch that they were first recognized as Christians. And so kind of the whole theme and thought behind this process of, of discovering the habits is that we would be recognized as Christians. And I asked the question, what was it about the early church that people could look at the Christians and say, those people are Christians, in fact, give them a different name, give them a different title, call them by something special. The thing that, that unified them, the thing that made them Christians is that they had the habits of Christ. They reflected Christ to the world. They had been with Christ, they had lived with Christ, they had seen Christ, they passed that on within the early church such to the effect that people who were just common folks in the places they lived would look at these folks and say, these guys are Christians because we see Christ in them. Last week we had our first habit uh, and that was a, Jesus had a habit of hanging out with sinners. And so we talked a little bit through that, and I gave you guys an action plan or a project to go out, meet somebody, talk to somebody, maybe somebody you already know or somebody you haven't yet met, take them to coffee, ice cream, go get a meal, go do something together and sit and talk. Anybody do that and you want to share how it went? Anybody? Any, any sharers? I got to be honest with you. Um, it was I had a hard time nailing this one down myself, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like chide you or anything. Talk to a couple. In fact, talked to a lot of people this week. It was hard to get anybody nailed down. So what I'm gonna say is, I think that that is something we need to continue to work on. We're busy. We're in the process ourselves of learning how to build margin into our lives so that we have opportunities to spend time with people at moments when the Lord designs. Sometimes those moments come in times we're not ready, we're not available, we, we, we think we're not available. So we need to continue to build that margin into our lives, and, and today's message is going to touch a little bit about that as well. So don't give up on this one, add it to this week's action plan, because these two habits, last week's and this week's, tie closely together. This one for this week is, Jesus had a habit of showing compassion and caring for others' needs. The needs of the world around us are overwhelming, aren't they? At least they are for me. I mean, we've got the news, we've got radio, we've got TV, we've got social media. I drive through the streets of Chicago and the suburbs, and everywhere I look, I see need. I see need all around us. People are hungry, they're lonely, they're tired, they don't have places to live, and there's this overwhelming need. I remember back to when we lived in Poland, we used to go to the, the market. It was like an outdoor market. It's called a Targovisko. It's like an outdoor market where you go shopping and you can buy fruit and vegetables and underwear and all kinds of great stuff. I mean, everything you ever imagined, they've got it there. I bought garden tools there. I mean, everything. Meat, eggs. If you want it, you can find it there. In fact, you could even find illegal stuff. There was this guy, he would always walk around and he would whisper at us, Papirose, which means cigarettes. Papirose. He would just whisper at everybody in the Targovisko, Papirose. You've seen, you've been there. Have you seen this? They were probably Ukrainian cigarettes or Russian cigarettes. Yeah, 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 exactly. 
(laughs) And so we would shop there, but there were always people in need there. And maybe because we didn't dress like everybody. I mean, we tried to look like we were Polish. We tried to fit in. We tried to speak Polish. But people could always recognize us. And so people on the margins would always approach us and they would ask for food or they would ask for something. And so we, we didn't like to give out money. So what we would do is anytime anybody came up and asked us for food, we would immediately take them shopping. And it was interesting. We would take them to the store and they, you know, they, they said, okay, I'll take a little bread. And they'd get some bread and they're like, that's enough. And they're like, no, no, bread's not enough. You need some, something else. So they, well, I'll take a little meat. No, that's, that's good. We had to like force them. You're hungry, take some food. Here's some meat. Here's some cheese. Here's some bread. Here's some juice. The, the, the needs there were overwhelming. Uh, alcoholism was tremendous. And so there were so many people with needs. And we just, we, we would meet them and we would get to know them and we would try to take care of the needs where we could see them, where we had opportunity to take care of them. Then I don't know about you, but sometimes the needs are so overwhelming that they move us to inaction. You ever been there? There's so much need so I do nothing. There's so much need of kindness and friendliness, so I end up saying nothing. The, the needs are so overwhelming that be, being overwhelmed by the immensity of the task, we do nothing at all. And I want to tell you today, I think that is a really dangerous place for us to be. You know, I love definitions, so we're going to look at a couple. Uh, the, defi- the definition for compassion, sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings or misfortunes of others. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear a definition of something, it's, it, it works better for me if I hear the opposite of that word. Because if I can get a handle on what compassion is not, for instance, then I know what compassion is. Here's a real simple definition for the, the antonym, the opposite of compassion. Cruelty or indifference. You ever felt indifference? You see something, you know you should act, you know you should do something, you should be moved, but you're not. That's called indifference. Jesus had this habit of showing compassion and caring for others' needs, and he, in this one particular instance, had just received some bad news. We're going to be in Matthew 14, if you're going to follow along in the Pew Bibles, it's in uh, page 478. But we're going to be looking at this scripture out of Matthew 14 and talking about what it says here, so keep your finger in it because we're going to jump back and forth to it a little bit, but he had just received bad news about John the Baptist. Somebody joked this morning when I was going up the stairs to the baptistry, they said, hey, Sean the Baptist. (laughs) And I knew I was going to read this story, so resounding in my head was, that guy lost his head. (laughs) And Dave said, there's still time. (laughs) Thanks, Dave. There's still time. I might still get in enough hot water to lose my head. Matthew 14. Starting in verse 13, again, Jesus had just received bad news about the death of John the Baptist. And it says, now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and had compassion on them and healed their sick. Hold your finger there. We're going to be back at that spot in just a moment. What I want you to see here is that in the midst of what must have been great sorrow, His cousin, John, he had just heard, had not only been put to death, but brutally so in being beheaded. Can you imagine? He just had this bad news. He goes away to a desolate place, but the people followed him, and he had compassion on the crowd in the middle of his probably a really good opportunity to be self-absorbed, right? 
have a pity party. Feel sorry for yourself. My cousin's dead. Jesus had this, this innate ability, this characteristic, this habit of being able to step outside of that. He was human, remember, before you just say, well, he was God. He was also human. He was like us. He had this ability to step outside of that self, self-absorption to see the people and to see their need. The scripture says he felt compassion. We see the need. And sometimes, maybe early on, we're moved by it. But maybe when we once felt something, now we're in a place where we don't feel anything anymore. Just ask yourself, when I see the need, when I watch TV, when I, when I, when I read on social media, or I hear about something that's happened, you know, we follow the, what is it, 411, Elmwood Park 411, and we found out about the fire in the apartments. Anybody hear about the fire? There was a fire, yeah. When you, when you hear news like that, are you moved by it? You know, Lydia and I, we, I'm, not just, I'm not bragging on ourselves. Please don't hear that. We drove the car over as close as we could get, and we walked over there to see if anybody needed any help. There were, they were, seriously, probably 20, I'm not exaggerating, 20 fire engines from everywhere. And police and paramedics, they had it covered. I called the chief of police, and he's like, we got it covered. The Red Cross has got it covered. Everything was covered. But when stuff happens, you need to be moved. We've got to be in that place where we can, we can accept the, we can't maybe do everything to help, but that doesn't stop us from trying. It doesn't stop us from, from pushing in to see how we could be helpful. Sometimes we tell ourselves convenient lies in order to absolve ourselves from feeling anything. We say someone else will help them. They're just living off of people. They're living off the system. They could get a job if they wanted, or if I give them money, they'll spend it on food or drugs or junk food. We have these convenient sayings that go on in our head. They're mentally ill. A few bucks won't help them, or maybe we just don't have the time. And so we, we have these walls, these barriers that we've built up within ourselves to insulate ourselves from what's going on around us. We become so lost in our own world that we can't see those who are in need anymore. So how did Jesus get past the self? How did he get past the self so he could show compassion and care for others' needs? We're going to go back to Matthew 14 for a minute. We're going to continue that story, and then we're going to, we're going to jump around a little bit. So Matthew 14, starting in verse 15, it says this. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. The day is now over. Send the crowds away to go in the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we only have five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowd to sit on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves. He gave them to the disciples. The disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate, and they were satisfied. At the end, they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Jesus' compassion satisfied the needs of the people. Did you read that? It says, all ate and were satisfied. Jesus' needs, or Jesus' compassion satisfied the needs of the people. We're going to look at Matthew 20 at another story. So flip over just a couple pages, 482 in the Pew Bible if you have that. Chapter 20. Verse 29, it says, as they went out from Jericho, 
This is Jesus on his way to Jerusalem, by the way. Just a little background, he's got something on his mind. He's heading to Jerusalem. He has just told the disciples, I'm on my way to Jerusalem because the Son of Man will be put to death there. Disciples didn't understand all what that meant, but this is what's on Jesus' mind, and it says, As they went out of Jericho, a great crowd followed him. Behold, there were two blind men sitting at the roadside. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd rebuked them, telling them to be silent, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. And stopping, Jesus called to them, and he said, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes. Remember, pity is one of the synonyms for compassion. So in compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. Immediately, they recovered their sight, and they followed him. Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. If he had something on his mind when uh, he had heard about John the Baptist in chapter 14, he probably really had something on his mind in chapter 20. He was dead man walking. He knew why he was going to Jerusalem. He had resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem. He was going to go. He was not going to be deterred. He could have even more so been self-absorbed than when thinking about his cousin's death. Now he's faced with his own. Impending. Guaranteed. He had every reason to be self-absorbed. The crowd was no help. The blind guys are calling to Christ and the crowd's like, shut up. Don't you know who that is? Leave them alone. Their calls were not lost on Jesus. He heard them, and he did something. Look at some of the language in these that we've talked about. Take note, it says that Jesus noticed the people. Some of the language here is when he saw, when he stopped, when he looked. Jesus was aware. He was watching. That's the... The antidote for self-absorption is to look out. What do you see around you? Jesus was was always looking. He was always watching. He was always aware. When Rebecca goes out into the city, we've done Taekwondo in the past, and I always remind her, situational awareness, sweetie. Make sure you know what's going on around you. She's a black belt in Taekwondo. We both are, so we're like watching. Daniel tried to jump me the other day from behind. And it was so unconvincing, I just stood there. (laughs) Sorry, Daniel. I know, I raised the bar, right? You're going to end up getting hurt, though. (laughs) I'm just telling you. (laughs) Who said amen? Was that Chad? No, it was Dick? Nice. All right. The first step in showing compassion, seeing what's around you, situational awareness, being aware, watching, learning, listening. The second thing he did is he identified needs. Listen again to the language of the verses we've read. Jesus said, bring them here to me. He called them over. He touched them. I've been watching myself this week in interactions and how I talk, and I've noticed that it doesn't matter whether I know a person or I don't know a person. I almost always touch them when I talk to them. I don't know if some of you do that or some of you don't do that. I I don't know. I've just noticed that I, 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 I... I just touch people when I talk to them, and, and I, I was aware reading this week that that's something Jesus did. I'm not saying I'm like Jesus because I'm like you. I'm trying to become like him, but there's something to touching somebody. 
You know what else is important is calling them by name. We don't see examples of that here. We do see some others. You remember last week, Jesus was walking along the road, the story we read, and he saw Zacchaeus in a tree. He didn't have any reason to know his name was Zacchaeus, except that he was also God. And he called him, Zacchaeus, come to me. It's important to use people's names. It's important to be aware of who they are. So he touched them. It says that he said, and in a a verse that was read when Dick read it, said he called for prayer. Jesus was aware of what was going on, and he called for action, and he even entered into the action on his own. And take a look at John 11, page 523 in those Bibles in the pews. If you want to follow along, it'll also be on the screen. But John 11, we're going to look at verse 28. And what I want to get at here is the answer to the question, how did Jesus' habit of showing compassion and caring for other needs, how did that, how did that habit inform his daily life when he was living during the day, walking, going, eating, sleeping, doing the things that Jesus did? How did that habit play itself out? So let's read in John 11, starting in verse 28. Uh, verse 28. Now the lead up to this, is that Lazarus, his friend, has died. If you remember the story, Mary and Martha had gotten word to the disciples. The disciples told Jesus, Jesus waited two more days. He knew Lazarus was sick and was probably going to die. In the meantime, Lazarus died. When he found out about it, they went. And when he got there, he had this interaction with Martha, and he talked about how he was to be the resurrection and the life. And Martha made this proclamation. She said, I believe that you are the Christ. You're the Messiah, the Son of God. And we pick up in verse 28, it says, When she said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and calling for you. When she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus, who saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. He had compassion. Read compassion in deeply moved. In his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes? He who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying. We know the rest of the story. He calls to Lazarus from the tomb. Lazarus rises and comes out. And it's a resurrection. But do you see the connection here between empathy and action? There's there's a connection here. Compassion is not characterized, listen, by heartless compulsion. It's not something you do out of duty. Don't leave here today and say, I'm going to be compassionate because Pastor Sean said so. That's the wrong reason. I'm going to leave here today and be compassionate because the Bible said so. I'm going to leave here and be compassionate because somehow if I do something, I can earn some righteousness before God. Maybe he'll be pleased with me and he'll accept me. All wrong reasons. Compulsion carried out in order to get something for For yourself in return is not compassion at all. Compassion carried out in that fashion is manipulation. When you manipulate the situation, excuse me, you manipulate the person to get something you want from them. 
It may even be something good. But if you manipulate a situation with compassion to get something, that's not compassion. When you manipulate a situation in order to feel good about yourself, you ever done that? I'm going to go out and do something good today so I can tick that box and say I did something good, now I can feel good about myself. That's manipulation. It could also be manipulation of God, although he is unmanipulated. You may think that perhaps if you're good enough, you'll get something from him. True compassion is driven by heart change. And unless your heart is changed, you cannot be truly compassionate. Your heart must be changed. You don't feel compassion when you look to the world. Maybe that's because you don't know Jesus Christ. If you can look in the world and be unmoved, if you can look at the world and have what, what we looked at, the anti-compassionate feeling of indifference, if, if you look at the world and you have indifference, it may be because Christ hasn't changed your heart yet. And now, in this moment, you're realizing, you're saying, wow, okay, maybe I'm looking at the world and I'm, I'm unmoved, I'm unfeeling. I see the refugee crisis on TV and that's their fault because that's where they're from and I don't care about that. I see the homeless in the street with nowhere to live and I'm unmoved. I see somebody's house burned down and I say, well, they probably did something stupid. I was at Costco yesterday and I was pumping gas and I heard a crash behind me. There was an accident right behind me. Somebody pulled out from the stop sign and the people that had the right of way just smashed into them. You see an accident at Costco parking lot and you go, ha, ha. The world says karma, right? They got what they deserve. They must have done something bad. That's indifference. I love that other word, cruelty. It's cruel to look at the world and be unmoved. And if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior and you look at the world and you're unmoved by what's going on there, today's the day you can change that. Christ came to change the heart, to give us a heart of compassion, to give us a heart that wants to be with people, wants to talk with them, wants to touch them, wants to know them by name, wants to ask questions. I was reading a little bit today about compassion, and, and it says if you, need to, if you need to grow in compassion, one of the things you do is talk to people and ask questions. Get to know them. If you can't talk to them because you, you can't get to them, then imagine, I wonder what it must be like. You ever do that? wonder what it must be like to have your apartment burn up. Just imagine what that's like. Think about that for a minute. That's compassion. That, that brings up compassion in you to, to imagine somebody else's plight and to allow Christ to move you compassionately into an opportunity where you can be salt and light, where you can be love, where you can be the hands and feet of Christ. But I'm here to tell you today, if, 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 if that first part of this touched you, that you feel like your heart is not changed, your heart is not right, you don't have a heart of compassion, and you can go before the Lord and say, Lord, give me a heart of compassion. Save me from this wretchedness, from this self that's unmoved. Save me from my sin. Save me from my, my history, my background, and my present. Lord, I need a new future, a future that, that loves you and honors you and follows you, and, and, and one in which I can love others. You remember when he was asked what the two, well, he asked, was asked what the greatest law was, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He added one on. He said, and the other ones like it, love your neighbor as yourself. How can you truly love somebody, have compassion, have empathy, be moved for them, if you aren't moved by Christ first in your heart. You can do that today, right now where you're seated, anytime from now into the service, even after the service, you can grab me. Hey, Dennis is here today, you can grab Dennis. You can talk to Dave, you can grab Barbara, you can grab Faith, you can grab Lydia. 
grab Terry. Say, hey, I need to know more about how to know Christ. I want to follow Christ. I want to find out how I can look at the world and be moved by it. Because if you are unmoved by the world, that's, that's like a barometer of your life. Something's wrong. If you look at the world and you're unmoved, that's an indicator to you that something must change. So how do we begin to practice this? How do we bring this practice of this habit into our own lives? If we know Christ as Lord and Savior and He's filled us and He's changed us and He wants us to have a heart of compassion, how can we help it to blossom? How can we help it to grow? Think about all the others that he touched. There was the leper of Mark 1, the demon-possessed man in Mark 5, two blind men of Mark 20, raising the widow's son in Luke 7. Jesus was on the lookout for need. He was watching. He was, he was viewing. He had situational awareness. Nothing missed his gaze. His, his gaze. No one's need was lost on him. I love the words of great is thy faithfulness. His compassions, they fail not. You guys remember that hymn? He did not fail in compassion, and that's what he's called us to. If we review these stories and we think about his life, I, I imagine that the number of compassionate acts that took place that are unrecorded are innumerable. I wonder if when the 12 walked with Jesus and he would do stuff, they're like, I wonder how often they were like, I didn't even see that guy. I didn't even notice that, that beggar. I didn't even see how, how does Jesus know? How is, he, how is he aware of all this stuff? I wonder if they were just amazed at the level of his compassion. So how do we see this come alive in us? If we review these stories and ask the question, what do we do? How did Jesus act? We can pick out some characteristics. There's several. First of all, this fits with last week. That's why these fit together so well. He was with people. Did you spend any time this week with people. And by people, you know what I mean. I don't mean the people in this room. We're people here too. But did you spend any time with somebody who's not a Christ follower? Did you purposefully take your time, your energy, uh, your space, whether it's your home or some other area of your life, and, and have a meeting or an opportunity or a talk or a conversation with somebody who didn't know Christ. We left here last Sunday, um, and we went to the Cuban restaurant. And I was talking to a really nice lady there, and I asked her about her name. Um, it was a name I'd never heard before. And she said her mom gave it to her. She's Hispanic. She's not Cuban, but her mom gave it to her. And it's the name of a lady from a TV show where the lady was a palm reader. And, of course, I jumped on that conversation, right? Why wouldn't you? Like, well, what do you think about palm reading? And we started talking about it. And it was very interesting. She's like, you know, it's okay. I don't know for sure, but, but horoscope, I read that every day. It, it, it's, if you're with people, if you're talking to people, if you have opportunity to be with people, the, the, the opportunities are, num are innumerable. You can't count them. They're never ending. So if you're sitting there today saying, I just don't know anybody to talk to, <laughs> it's really easy. You just go talk to somebody. I sent out an email this week. In fact, I have an opportunity for somebody today who wants to go talk to people. I'm going to ask you first. Anybody want to go before I tell you what it is? You should know if you've been reading your email. I need some folks to go to the Fall Fest and hand out invitations to next Sunday. I went Friday. We didn't get to go yesterday. We had, our, our day was full. I had so many conversations on Friday night. 
conversation upon conversation upon conversation. I met people. I met Paul. I told you I talked to Paul. Talked to some, some policemen. I talked to moms and dads. I talked to people who were working there. I, I just met people all over the place, and they all wanted to talk. Everybody was nice. Everybody was cordial. Nobody was rude. Nobody said, get out of my face. We don't want to go to that church. We don't want to have anything to do with you. Everybody was wonderful. Conversation after conversation. So if anybody wants to do that, they're going to be there all day. There's going to be families and kids playing at the Fall Fest all afternoon, all evening. I have invitations for you guys to hand out if you want to go over there and just talk to people and hand those out. The first thing Jesus did was live among the people. He also had time for people. Are are you doing that? Do you have time? Do you take time? Do you have margin built into your day so that if you come up in an opportunity, you have time for them? He spent time with people on the margins. Again, that was kind of how last week's message went. He was looking for people on the margins. Often people on the margins are the people who are most open at the moment to hear the gospel or a kind word, find out their name, find out what they're like, who they are. Ask them why they're on the margin. What happened to you? How did you end up? You ever ask somebody that question? Somebody is in a hard time. How'd you get in this hard time? The stories will fascinate you. And what you'll find out is they're real people. They're just like you. They were a paycheck away from disaster, just like you are. But disaster hit them. Now they're on the street. Start asking, start talking, start visiting. They were, uh, Christ was not immune to the needs. Again, he saw the suffering and it had an effect. And then he took action. I'm going to close reading Matthew 6, 1 through 4, because there's a word here about how we do this. There's a balance here that we have to take care of. Matthew 6, it's going to be on page 473 in the Pew Bibles if you want to look along. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you, have, you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Again, it's a warning against manipulation. Thus, when you see somebody, you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you. And I don't know if we have trumpets, but you know what he means. Don't do this as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will will reward you. What's the warning there? Do it for the right reasons. Be compassionate because Christ was compassionate, not because you want something out of it. Not even because you want them to come to church. And we talk a lot about, you know, the church needs to grow, or we want the church to grow, we want to see more people in the church. Those are great things, and they're coming. But that's the wrong reason to do what we're doing. That's the wrong reason for Trunk or Treat. That's the wrong reason to go to Fall Festival. That's the wrong reason to hang out with the lost. That's the wrong reason to do any of the things we're talking about. So that we can grow the church, so people will come to church. That's, that's the furthest thing from God's mind. He wants to know them. He wants to bring them to himself. Will they connect to churches if people come to faith in Christ? Yes. Will they all connect to this church? No. That doesn't matter. What matters is that we take compassion to the streets and to the people who really need it, and we love them like Christ loved them for no other purpose but that they are introduced to a God who loves them that they can find out how their lives can be saved. How, and, 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 you know, I've, I've said before, sometimes you've got to tell the bad news before you tell the good news. Sometimes people don't even know there's bad news. 
It's like there's waves all around and they're, they're seconds from drowning and they don't even know it. For them, it's like I'm on the beach in Cozumel and there's a tsunami coming and they don't even know. You got to tell them, hey, the bad news, there's bad news out there. We have to have opportunities to be with people. We have to take opportunities to be with people. I know I keep saying that over and over again, but it's, it, it's the first step. So that's the action plan. Start out simple this week. We have last week's action plan, right, was find somebody, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker, a stranger, go have coffee with them. Somebody who's not a Christ follower, just have some time with them. Do something with them. Maybe don't even go to coffee. Maybe just talk to them for four or five minutes. Find somebody to talk to. Get to know somebody. Ask them some questions and get to know them. But begin watching people. Begin noticing people. Begin to see what people around you are doing. Watch how they act and how they live and what they do. Become a student of people. That's what Christ did. He knew people because he was always watching them. Try to determine what they might need. Ask questions. Imagine what it might be like to be in their shoes. And then the second half of that action plan is do something. When you are moved to act compassionately, even if you can't handle all of the needs of the world, don't worry about the world. Even if you can't handle all the needs of Elmwood Park, don't handle and don't worry about Elmwood Park. We live on 77th Avenue in the 3100 block. We can worry about the needs on that block. You can worry about the needs on the block you live in. Pick something small. Don't go into it and say, I'm going to save the world. <laughs> Just talk to a neighbor. Talk to somebody at work. Talk to a, a stranger at a cafe. But, but begin to do that. And when you are moved to do something, do it. Maybe you're ill-equipped to do it and you need help. Call anybody in this room and say, hey, I need some help. It could be financial. It could be time. It could be anything. But remember the things Jesus did. He healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He gathered people. He taught the wanderer. He talked to the lost. He prayed for more laborers to rise up and meet the needs. Maybe he was overwhelmed at that point. Did you think about that? He looked at the field that was white unto harvest. And even Jesus, who was God and man, looked at the field and said, that's too big for me. Everybody's like, what? Too big for God? How's that possible? You remember, Christ limited himself when he was on this earth. He was just in one place at one time. He said, we got to pray. We got to pray for the harvest. We got to pray for the harvesters. You are the harvesters. We got to see the need. We've got to see the need and be prepared to act in compassion prepared to, to, to meet that head on. So you've got walking papers for this week. You've got action plans. Who's going to go do it? Anyone? I'm going to go do it. I see some hands. Raise your hand high if you're going to do it. I see. I'm not going to name out any names, but this is important. If we're going to become like Christ, if we're going to study the habits of Christ and we're going to see the life of Christ transform our own lives, these are the things we have to do. This church will grow because healthy things grow. And being compassionate and loving people is a healthy thing for a church to do. But growing this church is not the first on the list of things we do. The things we do first are become like Christ. And again, if you don't know Christ and, you're, and you need to know him today, I'm just going to ask you right in your seat where you're at, just bow your head, just close your eyes, just pray. We're all going to pray in just a moment. And as I pray, we pray together. Just go to the Lord and Father and say, Heavenly Father, I, I don't know you. 
I need to be saved from myself. I'm too selfish. I'm too selfish. Lord, save me from, from my own will and my own desire. Make me like your son, Jesus Christ. Save me from my sin. Scripture says, if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Save from a life of trouble, of problems, of calamity, of selfishness. Saved to a life of abundance. It may not be an abundance of stuff and things, but it's a life abundant with God who loves you. A God who, it says in Scripture, has set out before you a journey and a way to go. Lord, Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have called us each to follow you. Lord, I pray that you will raise up in us hearts of compassion, stronger and more empathetic than they are today. Lord, give us eyes to see the things you see. Give us a heart to feel the things you feel. Teach us how to have compassion, how to have compassion squared. Lord, and not to be moved by inaction, but action. Lord, I pray that as we look out today and this week and this month and this year and we see people like Christ saw when he looked and he saw and he said they were helpless and they were without a shepherd. When we look out and we see that, we'll be moved. Lord, we've been comfortable for too long looking out at our community and not seeing what's really happening. It looks good here. It looks good in the suburbs. Everybody's got jobs. They've got cars. They have houses. They have stuff. They go grocery shopping. It, it doesn't look like anybody needs anything. We've been lulled into the sense, Lord, that, that the suburb doesn't need anything else. But lurking below the surface is this lostness, what you have, have termed as lostness, Lord. It's separation from you. It's confusion at purpose in life. Problems in marriages, problems in families, problems between parents and children. <laughs> Feuds between neighbors I heard about this week. And Lord, it's all just lurking right there under the surface for us to to see, to watch, to speak into, to be a part of, to pray over, to touch, that we might be agents of healing in our own neighborhoods, that we might be agents of the gospel, of the truth that Jesus Christ came to save us from ourselves and from our sin and from the death that follows that and the eternal separation from God and give us something eternal that's wonderful and valuable in Christ with heaven, but also an abundant life now. A life full of abundance in contact with people, a life full of abundance in, in friends and in, and in new believers, a life of abundance in seeing the lost save, a life of abundance in seeing people who are on the margins come to know you. Lord, give us that heart of compassion today. Lord, make us more like Christ. I pray that we'll wake each day this week and be reminded to have that heart of compassion to see the world around us 
and to be prepared to act. Lord Jesus Christ, we pray all of this in your name. We thank you for your example. Heavenly Father, make us more like Christ. Spirit of God, remind us in our hearts to not give up hope, to continue to follow and to love. Lord, we pray all this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.